1 Samuel 3.11, it says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel to which the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Um, I really feel like God is up to something now in this day and age, but I think even in Miamisburg that he's up to something that the people who hear its ears will tingle. I think God is truly up to something so cool and so powerful and so awesome, and I'm, um, I'm excited. This thing's driving me crazy. So, um, but I'm excited. So, um, now I'm trying to think through what, what are we even pre- preaching about today, and what are we even talking about, and so let's pray. Um, God, we again just come before you thanking you that you, um, that you have the power to redeem. God, I'm sure that there are people in this room who need to understand your power to redeem. From the current situations of their life, I'm sure that there are people in this room who could testify to the fact that you have the power to redeem. Um. So God, I just pray that you prepare our hearts, you open our hearts, that we would see, hear, and uh, know what it is that you are putting on our hearts today. Again, we thank you, we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that I think in this text that I saw that I would almost want to preach a whole sermon on is this extremely bright light. Like this light is so bright that boom, Saul goes blind, but like what is the light? What did he see? And then you start looking and you think back through the Bible and it reminds me of Moses. Moses at one point in time, he, um, he goes up to a mountain and he hears from the Lord and when he comes down, his face is shining with this brilliant, bright light. And it's kind of like, did, did Moses see the same thing that Saul saw? And then I think of another time, remember when Stephen was getting stoned to death, he looked in and it says that he saw the glory of the Lord and his face sh- shined, shone, his face was bright either way, like that of an angel. Is that what Saul saw in this moment? I think that there's so many things that you can kind of pull out in that, that you could do the whole sermon on the fact that God is light. You could do, you could talk about the fact that it's God alone who has immortality, who dwells in an unapproachable light that no one can see God. Like what, what Paul, what Saul saw in this moment was this light that was so bright because Jesus stands in an unapproachable light. You could do this amazing sermon about that light. I think that you could do another amazing sermon about this voice from heaven, right? So can you imagine that you're just standing in a room and you hear a voice. It says that these people who are with Saul hear the voice, but they see no one. Imagine we're just sitting here and then there's this loud voice that none of us, we realize no one's speaking and we're hearing this voice from God. Like that's, that happened several times in scripture and it reminds me of the time when Jesus gets baptized and he comes out of the water and it says, and and this voice from God says, this is my son who I am well pleased. If you know anything about the Bible during the transfiguration, same thing. This is my son who am I well pleased. But then it adds, listen to him. The voice says, listen to him. I think of another time um, after the triumphal entry, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? And what happens is Jesus is speaking and he says, my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice from heaven says, I have glorified it and I will again. 
Multiple times throughout Scripture, you hear this loud voice. But then also in our text, we have um, Saul gets a vision. You have Ananias gets a vision. You could do an entire sermon about how to discern the voice of God. You could talk about how in the word, like in our lives, oftentimes God puts the word in our hearts and our minds. Sometimes it's a still small voice. It's like this implanted word that that God is leading and you can just tell God is leading me to do something. You could do this amazing sermon on that. You could talk about visions and dreams and how do we discern God's voice. You could talk about how Abraham heard the call, how Moses heard from the Lord at a burning bush. You could talk about how he heard from the Lord at the top of a mountain. We could start talking even about um, Acts chapter 11 when Peter is going to receive a vision from the Lord. I mean, there's so many things that you could talk about. Really, the entire book of Revelation is is a vision that God gave John. So you could talk about discerning the will of God, discerning the, the voice of God. I think it would be powerful. In this text, we have this guy, Saul, who's persecuting all these people, killing people. He goes blind, and then God shows up to a guy by the name of Ananias and says, hey, go to the house and pray for him. How many of us in this room are like, hey, I want to be Ananias in this story? I mean, we, we know the, the result, but up until that moment, hey, God comes to you and says, hey, this guy who's killing all of your friends, yeah, go over and hang out with him. How many people sign up for that job? Not me. I mean, I have a hard time doing things that would be less, less uncertainty and less dangerous I have a hard time with. So you could do this full sermon on the willingness of Ananias to obey the Lord when it doesn't make sense. You could talk about how is it that we should obey the Lord even in the face of uncertainty or how do we obey the Lord even in the midst of danger? And I feel like there's so much in the word that you could continue to talk about. You could talk about knowing the ark. God shows up to Noah and says, hey, uh, build an ark. Talk about feeling like an idiot when you're out there building an ark. But he obeyed when it didn't make sense. You could do this whole sermon. You could talk about Abraham and Isaac, and God tells Abraham, take your son and sacrifice him. And talk about obeying when it doesn't make sense. Talk about willingness to obey in the face of danger or the face of uncertainty. You could talk about... Um, the Israelites walking through dry ground in the Bible and there's wall of water on either side of them as they cross the Red Sea, obeying in the face of uncertainty. Man, you, you could talk about David and Goliath who he got a couple stones and he was ready to fight a giant. Talk about danger or uncertainty. You could talk about Daniel being thrown in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You could talk about how Jonah... In the Bible's response was so different. See, Jonah was told what to do, and he didn't do it. He went the other way. And you could, in this text, I think you could have this amazing sermon on obeying when the face of uncertainty, obeying when there's danger, obeying when it doesn't make sense. Um, I think you could also do an amazing sermon throughout this text on how much God knows, like how all-knowing God is. In this text, he says um, to Ananias, he says, Hey, Ananias, I want you to go to straight state, I want you to go to state street and go to the house of Judas. Like, I want, like, that is, there's a guy in the Bible who's kind of like, Oh, it's him on this street. Like, there's something that's so crazy to me. Like, God knows the guy's name, knows the street he lives on, knows where Saul is. Like, you could talk about how much God, 
is all-knowing in, in this text. And you could talk about how, how crazy that is, but then you'd be like, but you know, that shouldn't really surprise us that God knows the guy where he lives, where, where Saul is. He knows where Ananias is. He's, like, he's, he's directing all this because you could go through Scripture and you could say that God knew before we were formed, he knew us. You could talk about the fact that God knows the number of hairs on our head and knows how fast it's dwindling. You could say that he knows our thoughts. He knows the intention of our hearts. Before there's a word on our lips, he knows. Like you could just, you could do an amazing sermon on God being all-knowing in this text. You could talk about the people with Saul, right? These people are with Saul, and they hear this voice from, from God. The guy goes blind. This guy you're following goes blind. And then one of his enemies shows up, prays for him, and he's healed. But you don't see these people begin to follow Jesus. They continue to go on. And you could talk about, you could have this sermon about how is it that some people see an amazing, miraculous God and yet fail to walk in obedience to him. There are so many things in this text that I would love to preach on. And so I kind of did a short snippet so I could at least talk about some of those great things. But we're not going to go deep into those things. What we're going to go deep into today is what happened to Saul and what should that teach us. Saul's on the road to Damascus. He's persecuting Christians, and boom, something happens. What is it that happens? God grabbed his attention. I don't know if you've ever had something going on in your life to where you just, like, God just, boom, grabbed your attention. I can specifically go back and I can pinpoint times in my life where God was seeking to grab my attention. So God grabbed his attention and he humbled him. Think about this guy is, is leading the charge to go persecute people. And as he's on the charge, he now no longer can even walk without help. God just brings this guy down. He humbles him and Jesus speaks to him. And his eyes are opened, not, not initially to actually see again because he goes blind. But what, the, what God opens his eyes to see is he receives a revelation. He's called by grace. The son was revealed to him. In a moment, he begins to understand who Jesus really was. What happened to Saul, I think, is that he was overwhelmed with forgiveness. If you think about who Saul is, he's, he's a murderer, he is a false witness, he's a liar, he's throwing people in prison, he's doing all of the things that God would hate. Like, if I'm God, I despise Saul, and I want to just strike him down. But that's not what happens. Saul, um, in Proverbs 6, 16, it's that the, the Bible says that there are six things that God hates. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, a false witness, and one who sows discord among brothers. Saul is probably doing literally all of these things. And when he sees Jesus and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? He has to think, I'm in trouble. But he doesn't get struck down. He sees grace. In a moment... God humbles him, God gets his attention, and he sees grace. 
in a moment he's made new. The old is gone, the new has come. He's crucified with Christ. There's a hundred degree change in his life. He's immediately, totally, powerfully, wonderfully, miraculously changed in an instant. He goes from being a punisher, a persecutor, to a proclaimer. Just like that. He's shown grace. In that instant, God changes his heart, changes his mind. In an instant, he is set on a new path. He's given a new vision, a new mission. He has a new calling. He has a new reason for living. He has a new motive for what his life is about. He has a new revelation, a new sight. He's a new self. He's a new person. In an instant, God gives him a new name. He was Saul, and in an instant, now he's Paul. He was the persecutor Saul, and now he's the apostle Paul. What happened to Saul? He was shown grace, and he was powerfully changed. He was going into synagogues to persecute, and now he's going to those same synagogues to preach. I think in an instant, he... Like I said a minute ago, he begins to see who Jesus really is. In an instant, he realizes that this Jesus is the light that came to enlighten the world. In an instant, I think that he begins to see that Jesus is the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins. In an instant, he realized that Jesus is the one who brought grace and who brought truth. In an instant, he saw what goes all the way back into Luke 4. He saw that Jesus was the one who came to earth to proclaim good news. He begins to see that Jesus is the one who can set captives free. And then he very powerfully began to know that Jesus is the one who gives sight to the blind. He's blind. He cannot see for three days. Ananias comes in, pray for him, boom, he can see again. It's this amazing, powerful thing. He begins to see who Jesus really is. He sees that Jesus is the one who sets at liberty those who are oppressed. In an instant, he sees grace, he begins to see who Jesus is, and he's powerfully and miraculously healed. What should this text teach us? You are not too far gone. No matter what's going on in your life, even those secret things that you're not sharing with other people, you are not too far gone for our God. It should show us that no matter what's going on in your life, there is love, there is grace, there's forgiveness, and there's mercy. What it should show us is that God wants to do something in our lives. What it should show us is that we cannot fall further than the hand of God can reach. It doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you've thought. God wants to know you and have a relationship with you. And the things that, that we, we, we struggle with, this shame and this guilt, that, that we're not too far gone for God. It's not too late. He wants to grab our attention. He wants to expose his grace, and he wants to change us. And I think in a room this size, it's easy to say, you know, I, I did believe that, but then I failed. I had a second chance, and I failed again. 
and you can kind of think, you know what, I've, I've had a second chance and it didn't work out, and so I, I'm, I'm too far gone for God. And it's not true. This text should show us that. The text should also show us that even if you've had your second, second chance, there is still grace, there is still forgiveness at the foot of the cross. This text should teach us that it's not too late for me. What else should this teach us? That neighbor of ours is not too far gone. That coworker of ours that drives us insane, they're not too far gone. That family member is not too far gone. That person that is deep in the midst of an addiction, they are not too far gone. Not for our God. Those who struggle with mental health issues, they're not too far gone. Those who are struggling with major fits of pride, they are not too far gone. Those who struggle with materialism or worldliness in a powerful way, those who are living in the midst of break, broken relationships or have identity issues, deep, deep identity issues, they are not too far gone for our God. Saul called himself the worst of sinners. He was killing people who claimed and wanted and were following Jesus. He killed them. And yet God exposes his forgiveness to him. That neighbor, that coworker, that family member is not too far gone. God wants to grab their attention, show them grace, and transform them. Scripture says... Nothing is impossible with God. With man, it's impossible, but with God, there is nothing impossible. There are probably people in your life, I know there are people in my life, that deep in my mind, them being transformed by God is impossible. I, I, I struggle with that. But, but the Bible tells us that nothing is impossible with God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 3.20 that God can do exceedingly abundant beyond all we can ask or imagine, beyond all we can think or dream. So if we think through the, the worst person that we've ever known and we think of God radically changing our life, there's God could do even more than that. If we try to come up with this, this box, like how big is our God? We come up with the biggest box we can possibly imagine to describe and define our God. He is infinitely bigger than that. He's infinitely more powerful than that. Psalm 106.9 says this. He, God, saves people for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. This text should help us to see that Saul is instantaneously and miraculously changed, and it should show us just how mighty our God's power is. It should do something when we see that neighbor, that coworker, that family member, when we look into our own lives and think that we are too far gone. It should draw us to see that God is infinitely more powerful than we ever give him credit for. Jeremiah 32, 17 says this, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. And then it says, nothing is too hard for you. Do we believe that? Do we truly believe that? That anxiety that we can wrestle with, 
or that shame we can wrestle with, the guilt that we can wrestle with, the inability to to, uh, keep our pocketbook closed when it should be, do we realize that God is powerful? Do we believe it? You know, you can look back through the Bible and you can see that Jesus, while he's on earth, he heals lepers, those who are lame. He heals people who are blind. He heals the paralytic. He heals sick. He heals mute. A man with a withered hand. He heals someone who's crippled. He heals a woman who's bleeding for years. He heals a deaf man. That same Jesus, the Bible tells us that he walked on water, that he calmed a storm, that he cursed a fig tree and it died. That same Jesus turned water to wine. He rose a widow's son back to life, and he brought Lazarus back to life with a word. He said, Lazarus, come forth, and the guy is dead. He's been dead for three days, and boom, stands up, comes out of the tomb. He himself died, is killed on a cross, and he rises again. And, And it's one thing that he rises, but then there's a tomb that he's in, And there was a stone, and it took multiple people to roll the stone in front of the tomb that Jesus is in. And the tomb, the stone is rolled away, and he comes out. Like, our God is so powerful throughout every page of this word. And yet, we can begin to think that I'm too far gone. We begin to think that my struggle with gossip, God can't really ever fix or my struggle with doubt or my my pride is too strong my bank accounts too far gone my relationships are too far gone he can't fix my job situation he can't take the anger that I struggle with away from me we can begin to think that, that God is not powerful enough to heal to redeem The song we sang before this, we didn't plan it out, but it says, he who has the power to redeem. Jesus did all that stuff while he was on earth. He displays power throughout the word, and yet that neighbor of mine, God can't change his heart. That family member of mine, God can't change his heart. Man, we we lack faith. I lack faith. We believe that there are so many things that are more powerful than our God. I think that what this text should show us is that God longs to grab our attention, to expose his grace, and to change us. He longs to do that with other people. And what this text should teach us is that God can. Nothing is too hard for our God. Nothing is impossible with God. This text should teach us that God can. I think that this text has given us to see that he who was the worst of sinners, who was actively seeking to destroy the church when it was probably at its um, most critical time, was a new church just starting. This guy who was attacking it going crazy to to destroy it is radically and powerfully changed. I think that this text should teach us that our God can. Whatever it is that, that you are struggling with, whatever it is that I am struggling with, 
that person that we know that we just don't think that God could change that person's life. I think that God wants to show us through the conversion of Saul that with him it is possible. With him there is hope. Let's pray. God, I confess I do not trust often. I confess to you that I often lack faith. But God, I pray that, that I, myself, I pray that all of us in this room, that we would begin to, to get a glimpse of who you are, a glimpse of what you are like, that we would see you so powerfully and so miraculously that we would begin to trust in you. Your, your word says that if we have the faith of a mustard seed, we could move mountains. And so, God, I pray that we would be a group of people who, who say, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, I pray that we would believe that you are powerful, that you are wonderful, that you are um, about to do a work that our ears would tingle with. God, I pray for anyone in here who deep in their heart is struggling with doubt. Pray that you would reveal to them how powerful you are, how real you are. God, I pray that each of us would think of a neighbor, a family member, a friend that we struggle believing is too far gone. And God, I pray that you would, you would rise us up, that you would, you would cause us to go to our knees for that person and to pray. And God, I pray that you would call people to yourself. And Lord, I humbly ask that you would let us see it. Your word says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, and pray. I would hear from heaven and I will heal their land. God, I pray that we would believe that you have the power. I pray that we would believe that God can. In Jesus' name, amen.